0: All right. Well, good morning again, everyone. And uh, it's a real, it is a real privilege and a pleasure to be here with you on your weekend away sharing God's word with you. And so we're going to spend uh, this weekend and four talks looking at the book of Proverbs. And um, I reckon uh, Proverbs is actually the biblical book that has helped me to grow most as a Christian in the last few years. And so uh, I hope that as we go through it this weekend, um, it helps you to live for God too. Um, and uh, just uh, before we start, there's, there was a New Testament passage that I'd, I think would be really helpful for us to have in mind, so if you keep a finger in Proverbs chapter 3, it's a very short New Testament passage, and you come across to John's Gospel in the New Testament and chapter 1, uh, and we'll just read verse 14. Sorry, I think I may have forgotten to get the readings in in time, but that's alright. It's a very quick one, so we'll just get it out of the way so sorry so John 1:14, and there uh, this is the end of the introduction to John's gospel telling us about Jesus and he says this about him uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth So um, that's our New Testament reading. Back to Proverbs chapter 3. Now, one of the reasons that I really love the book of Proverbs is because of its different uh, genres, its different types of literature. And so it's got both poems and also short single-sentence proverbs. And that means um, you actually have the flexibility of approaching this book from lots of different angles. And one of the great things about this book is that um, there's such a rich variety of ways that God speaks to us through the book And so this weekend, I just want to try and um, introduce you to some of those different approaches. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at that poem in uh, chapter 3 that um, Jeff just read for us. And then uh, after morning tea, we're going to look at a single proverb and think about how to just read that one verse and uh, think about what it says about us and God. And then uh, a little bit more unusual, but one of the things that people have been noticing about proverbs is um, if you've read Proverbs before, you, you might have noticed it seems quite random. So it just seems to kind of jump here and there and everywhere. Uh, but actually, people have started to notice there's a little bit more connection between those seemingly random uh, Proverbs that are next to each other. So we're actually going to try and do that and actually see uh, a chapter that may appear a little bit random at first. What are the threads that run through it and how does that help us to understand what it's saying? And then in our final talk, Uh, We're going to look at Proverbs thirty. the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, We are going to go there, yes, um, but we're going to do it, don't worry, we're going to do it in a way that completely subverts the genre, and so uh, we'll see how it's actually for everybody. Anyway, so it'd be great if you keep your Bibles open so you can follow along, make sure that uh, you're engaging with God's Word directly and not just my words. Now, what do you know about the book of Proverbs? Uh, oh yeah, and I thought, I don't know, a little bit of fun over the weekend. I'm just going to try and experiment. If it falls flat, doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, maybe you might like to actually read uh, through proverbs a little bit yourself this weekend, or if you have uh, some favorite proverbs. And so maybe at the beginning of each talk, I'll just I'll do a call out. And if everybody, anybody's got a proverb that is particularly dear to their heart, or they've read it and gone, what the heck is going on here? You can share it and we can just have a bit of fun. There are some fun Proverbs in there, um, and so I am hoping that some of the more outlandish ones get a, get a hearing, and we'll just have some fun with the book, because it's quite a fun book too. Okay, now, um, besides fun, you may also know that the book of Proverbs is written to make you wise, and so Proverbs 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2 says, this book is for gaining wisdom. And that uh, Proverbs really is kind of the flagship wisdom book in the Bible. But that raises a really important question for us off the bat, and that is what exactly is wisdom? How would you define wisdom, and what does the Bible mean by it? Um, so, why don't we get some thoughts? Anyone, any, anyone heard uh, any good definitions of what is wisdom? Or what do you think it is? Yep. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Excellent answer. Good start. Jeff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. okay. The fear of the Lord? knowledge of the Holy One is understanding is the rest of it, isn't it? Okay, yes. Yep. The insight into the true nature of things. Oh, insight into, tr- into the true nature of things. Yes. you? Okay. Knowing what to do and when to do it. Knowing what to do and when to do it. Yep. It's a little bit off what you're asking, but lately I've been thinking a lot about how um, knowledge doesn't necessarily equal wisdom, and we see that a lot in mm. society. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, uh, lots of intelligence and then brain explosion. And then what are we doing? Yep. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think we're going to see all of these uh, coming out over the weekend as we look at Proverbs. Um, But to start us off, I just want to try and um, see if we can just drill down into what is the basic idea of wisdom um, and then work from there. How does the Bible actually use that basic idea? And I think When a lot of people think wisdom, it seems like a fairly remote or abstract idea. Um, You know, someone sitting around thinking deep, obscure thoughts and making up deep, obscure ways to say them. Uh, Someone like, um, I think there's a picture of Confucius coming up. Um, So, yeah, that's, you know, a lot of people think of Confucius as a particularly wise person, and he was very abstract and vague. Uh, I Googled some of Confucius's real sayings to share with you as examples. Uh, but to be honest, I thought they were a little boring. And much more fun were the Confucius Say ones. And, you know, ethnically, I can get away with it. So, <laughs> so here are a few of my favorites. Um, okay, ready? Confucius Say. Man who make mistake in lift. Wrong on many level. Uh, Confucius Say. Man who want to ask pretty nurse out on date. Must be patient. and uh, one especially for us Christians uh, Confucius say man who pass wind in church sit in own pew (laughs) Uh, but But thankfully, a little bit more reflective of some of our comments, Uh, wisdom in the Bible is much more um, useful and practical and helpful, and it is for everyone. So I think a really good definition of wisdom would be, uh, and this resonates with some of what people have said already, Uh, wisdom is understanding how your world works and how to live in it for your success and joy. Okay, I think there's a, yep. Understanding how your world works and how to live in it for your success and joy and uh, what we're going to see through the weekend is that um, what that involves particularly is, uh, I think, three aspects. There's your perspective, that is how you view and understand life and what's going on in front of you, so your perspective. But then, uh, as we've pointed out, it's very, very practical, so it should actually change the way you live. So it should be perspective, uh, it should change your practice. But one thing that um, I've really come to appreciate lately, and I think in our um, circles of, uh, you know, Bible-believing evangelicalism, we may be a little bit underdone on, and that is wisdom should be something that we're passionate about. It should involve our feelings and our emotions. We should want to be wise, and we should have a a repulsion for what is unwise and foolish. And so um, uh, I think we're going to see all those three. But I think the basic idea is understanding how your world works and how to live in that world For your success and joy. And the thing is that um, when it comes down to it, that word, world, which I put in inverted commas, uh, the reason I've done that is because you can actually apply that to almost any sort of um, realm of life or anything, and it can be quite narrow. And so here are some examples in the Bible of the word wisdom uh, that show you that sometimes we're not talking about seeing things how God sees them or Doing what is best, etc. Sometimes we've got a very narrow view of our world, and we're just going within this world. This is what wisdom is. Okay, so for example, in One Kings chapter seven, we're told that Hiram, who was a king of another nation, he had great wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in bronze work in building Solomon's temple. And so here, your world is metalwork. And so wisdom is, I don't know, having awesome smelting skills or something like that. Uh, So in Exodus chapter 1, when the Israelites are in Egypt, the Egyptians say, let us deal shrewdly or wisely with them, otherwise they'll multiply further. And so this time your world is the threat of a growing migrant population. And so wisdom is figuring out how to deceive and enslave uh, an entire race. And then final example, possibly my personal favorite, Uh, Psalm 58 refers to the snake charmers who skillfully or wisely weave their spells, all right? And so here, uh, your world is close contact with venomous reptiles, and so wisdom is um, being able to play your recorder seductively, I don't know, so, so you don't get bitten and die. Okay, does that make sense? So that's wisdom. It's just, here is the world that I'm looking at, and here is how to operate in that world for my success and my joy. That's wisdom. And so in Proverbs, what we're going to see are, uh, is that there's lots of examples in different earthly worlds, in different contexts, uh, exploring how to be wise in those contexts. But it's also going to put those in the biggest context of the fact that God made and saves the world. Okay, So there's going to be wisdom going on here, but it's going to reflect on the wisdom that God has over everything. So, um, because proverbs can be less familiar for a lot of us, uh, let me just give you a quick run through uh, of just how the book holds together. Um, So as you're reading, you can kind of match what you're reading with uh, the structure. And so probably the simplest way is just to see it in three main parts. There's an introduction that goes for the first nine chapters, and they are really a set of poems that um, give you the foundation of the book and that is you need to live by God's wisdom and that's going to be the subject of our talk this morning. And then the main body of the book is chapters 10 to 29 and that's your classic one sentence proverbs and that gives you the nuts and bolts of how to build your life on God's wisdom. And then we have the conclusion in chapters 30 to 31 which returns to longer poems again and really gives you the rubber hits the road of Uh, experiencing the blessing of God's wisdom. Um, But what we're going to also notice is that suddenly there's a pretty sharp focus on the figure of the king. And that's going to be really interesting as to why Proverbs, um, which seems so sort of just all over the shop, actually starts to move towards uh, something about a king. All right, so I want to start our series with Proverbs 3 because I think it gives us the heart of the book and the ultimate wisdom that the world revolves around and that every other earthly wisdom is finally subject to. But most importantly, God says this is the wisdom that we need to live by. And here it is in a nutshell, this is the summary of the chapter. True wisdom is building your life on God's love and faithfulness alone. Alright? So that's the summary of the chapter. I think that's the summary of Proverbs uh, and the Bible. Uh, true wisdom is building your life on God's love and faithfulness alone. That's it. Uh, In many ways, I think it's really simple. And that's great because anyone can start on the path of true and ultimate wisdom right now. But if you fold in those three Ps that I put in before, that that it's actually going to affect our perspective on life, it's fundamentally going to change our practice of what we do, and it's going to reorient our feelings and our passions, you can see it's really complex and really challenging. And in some ways it'll take our whole lives just to scratch the surface of what it means to be truly wise. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter three, and we're going to look at it under three headings. Uh, Wisdom is living by love and faithfulness. That's verses one to 12. Because God made the world in love and faithfulness. That's verses 13 to 20. And then so give yourself to others in love and faithfulness. That's verses 21 to 35. And then we'll finish looking at living by God's wisdom. And I think if you have a camp booklet, there's an outline for you. If you'd like to take notes or figure out where we're up to in the talk. Um, But the main, main thing is just to keep on with the Bible and make sure you keep looking at God's word. So verse one, uh, wisdom is to live by love and faithfulness. Verse one, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Okay, so there it is. Uh, if you keep these commands, uh, these proverbs in your heart, if you live by wisdom, they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. That's the promise of the book. And I just want to point out quickly that um, This is not the same thing as what we might call salvation by works or prosperity gospel, that sort of thing. Just follow the rules and you will be blessed richly and materially. Now, this uh, way of expressing things of uh, peace and prosperity is actually the classic Old Testament expression for the blessing of life in right relationship to God. So that word peace there is actually the, uh, the Hebrew word shalom, and it's a really key word in the Bible. And what it means is that everything is as it should be, aligned in joyful harmony with God. Okay, so that's what Proverbs wants to give us. But the key to this shalom, this peace and prosperity, and the verse that I think summarizes everything Proverbs is trying to build into us is actually verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, uh, I realize one of the downsides of uh, having so many family members in the room is that when you use illustrations involving your own family members, that gives other people dirt. Um, So I'm just gonna try and keep things as anonymous as possible, Um, but probably, Lukey, you can figure out who's being talked about. Don't give him a hard time about it, please. Uh, Okay, so I remember uh, several years ago dropping off one of my boys um, at a conference kids' program, and uh, it was a very unwilling drop-off. Well, I was very willing, but he wasn't. Um, He was crying and clinging to my neck so desperately. It was like I needed a can opener to get him off me. But anyway, I I sort of prized him off, and and the leader took him. And um, when I picked him up after the session, I, I said, I felt a bit guilty and I said, hey mate, did you have a good time? And he he said yes, but it didn't really sound that convincing. And as we left, he asked me to to pick him up. And as I did so, his hands reached out and grabbed my face tight. Then he brings me right up close and he goes, dad, never leave me again. (laughs) And then he just did the four full four limb death squeeze hug and just wouldn't let me go for ages. And that's what Proverbs 3, verse 3 reminds me of, right? There is something that we ought to cling on to desperately with our whole lives and say, never ever leave me again. And what is it? Love and faithfulness. Now, what are they and why are they so important? All right, well, I'm going to try and spell them out in the rest of this point, and then we'll move on to why they're so important. So what is love? You might be thinking you song lyrics at the moment. Uh, but our culture, I think, mostly sees love as a bit of an emotion. Um, but in the Bible, love does include emotion, but it's much more. And so if you wanted a definition of true love in the Bible, it'd be something like, uh, love is a fierce determination to do good to another, no matter the cost to you. Okay, Love is a fierce determination to do good to another, no matter the cost to you. And that's why the biblical synonyms for love are mercy, that is compassion and forgiveness for those who have wronged you, and grace, that is generosity, particularly towards those who are undeserving. Okay, so love, mercy, and grace. What about faithfulness? Well, again, in our culture, faithfulness is usually used for something like um, uh, sexual fidelity, but in the Bible, it's about your whole character. Okay, so it's a, a deep personal commitment to be relationally dependable. And so you give your word and you just do everything you can to keep your word so that people find you trustworthy and can build a solid relationship with you. And so the biblical synonyms for faithfulness are justice, that is making sure you right any wrongs done to others, and truth. That is, you shoot straight, you're a person of integrity. There's no deception or duplicity to you. And God says, those are the things that you want around your neck, in your heart, filling your being, and then flowing out in everything you do and say. And um, uh, if you've ever had a person in your life who is like that, who is just loving and faithful... Um, isn't there just something so right about them? Isn't it just wise and, and wonderful about how how they live? Well, Proverbs 3, verse 3 says, make that your aim in life as well, to be that for others, to live by love and faithfulness towards all you meet. Uh, but while it may sound simple, I'm sure you know, as well as I do, that in real life, it's actually a huge challenge to live this way, isn't it? And that's why verses 5 to 12 go under stress that we need to keep looking to God and not our own strength if we are going to be wise like this. And for the Colin Buchanan fans in the room, I'm sure the tune is going to be bouncing around your head as soon as I start reading. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body And nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled uh, to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, why does it make such a big deal about trusting in God, um, not? leaning on our own understanding accepting god's rebuke and discipline and the answer is because we're sinful and our sin keeps getting in the way of wisdom and mucking us around Uh, so martin luther who was uh, one of the the uh, main theologians in the church um, called this sin's inward curve all right so sin is not just when we do wrong things Sin is like a power that constantly tries to turn our drives and energies inwards towards ourselves rather than outwards towards others as they should be. And it really just kind of twists and distorts what the truth is so that I still have a fierce determination to do good to someone, but it's not others no matter the cost to me. It's I have a determination to do good to me no matter the cost to others. And rather than my word being a solid bond that can hold others up faithfully, it becomes a selfish, manipulative tool that I use to elevate myself at the expense of others. And I reckon this last thing I've noticed in myself, especially in the stress of the last couple of years, um, it really has created a lot of strain, hasn't it? Our our, uh, Dealing with corona and um, our lockdowns. Uh, I feel really crushed and pressed and, and cramped in. And I've noticed that when I when I do feel like that, I can start to use my words uh, quite impatiently and um, uh, for my own convenience. And so I, I can make promises that in the end, I have no intention of keeping. I just want to get someone off my back, right? And in the moment, it seems like such a small thing And so easy to justify. Like, there's a wisdom in that. If I just say, sure, I'll do it, they will leave me alone, all right? So I'll do that because that's wise. But when you stop and realize how rife failure to keep your word has become in our culture, you realize how disastrous it truly is. Disastrous it truly is. So our society has become so full of fear and distrust that, as was pointed out, The different sides of political debate have to resort to lying and name-calling to get elected and get decisions done, and then you realise after those decisions are made, they have pulled a Swifty on us. And if that's what our leadership is doing, then is it any wonder that our society as a whole feels more and more fragmented and uncertain? Or else closer to home, I just heard uh, last week a really heartbreaking story of a friend's marriage and family that's been torn apart uh, by 20 years of concealed unfaithfulness. And, and just the, the damage that it has caused not only to the two people but to the families involved, the friends, the churches, it's just it's awful. And so Proverbs says this is serious stuff, love and faithfulness are the way life works, and failure to love, failure to be faithful, rip life to shreds. And so Proverbs 3 says we've got to keep fighting that inward selfish turn that's in, our, in us all. We've got to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And so brothers and sisters, the first part of Proverbs 3 tells us that we've got to keep wrestling in our hearts to keep it turned outwards towards God and others and resist that inward curve. And I wonder if you can think of even a particular area in your life where you realize that, actually, no, I have turned inwards on myself. Uh, Why don't you write write it down now so you don't forget it, make a note of it um, so that you can be intentional in that challenge to keep your heart directed outwards in love and faithfulness and not turned inwards in selfishness and faithlessness. Now, second point, uh, the reason why love and faithfulness are so foundational for our life and character is spelled out for us in verses 13 to 20. And the reason is simply because they are foundational for God and his life and character. So the terms love and faithfulness actually come from a passage in Exodus chapter 34, which is a really key moment where God gets up close and personal to Moses and proclaims his name and what it means for who he is. Uh, so I think it's coming up. Um, Exodus chapter 34, uh, verse 6, and he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness all right so that's who God is at his core he is loving and faithful but what Proverbs three thirteen to 20 tells us is that as his as creator he has actually stitched his character into the very way the world is made and operates uh, verse 13 blessed are those who find wisdom those who gain understanding for she is more profitable than silver And yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. There's shalom again. And then notice the echoes of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. She is a tree of life to all those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed by wisdom. The Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop their dew. So basically, verses 13 to 20 are saying, if wisdom is understanding how your world works and how to live in it for success and joy, well, your world is the one that the God of love and faithfulness made. And so the person who finds joy and blessing is actually the one who ultimately lives in tune with God's love and faithfulness to them. Does that make sense? Um, One of my favorite theologians is the American uh, Jonathan Edwards who lived in the 17th century. uh, Sorry, the 18th century, 1700s. That's right, isn't it? Yep. Um, And he used a great illustration of how this all works. He says, if you think of a light source like the sun and then uh, like a mirror. And he says, well, God is like the sun. Which way are we going? I think there's a, yep. So there's a uh, sun and a mirror. God is like the sun, and he makes the world, not because he needs us, but simply so that he can pour forth his goodness into it. Uh, he just wants some someone to be able to express his love and faithfulness too. And so that's what he does. He creates so that he can generously fill us with his joy and glory. But the process isn't meant to end there because what creation is meant to do is we are meant to receive God's love and faithfulness and once we are filled by him, uh, we're meant to reflect it to everyone around us so that the world is filled with God's good gifts and we're meant to return it to him, return love and faithfulness to him in lives of thanks and praise so that there is this growing Glorious rebound of love and faithfulness from God to us and then back again to God. And Proverbs 3 says, this is the way the world works. This is true life and joy. This is the very purpose for which we as humans were made. But uh, the thing I want to point out from this is that we need to get the order right. That is, we need to receive from God first and be filled by him before we try and reflect and return. Otherwise, our relationship with God and what we try and do for His service falls into legalism. In other words, thinking that we've got to do things for God before He will love and bless us. Or thinking that because I've done so much for Him or just tried hard to be good, I deserve some recognition or reward or else He's letting me down. But Proverbs and The gospel in the New Testament tells us that's just not the way it works. That's not how the world is made to work. We're loved and saved by God first before we can properly love and serve Him in return. And that's what Proverbs 3, 13 to 20 is trying to stitch into us, that that order really matters. Uh, I remember someone telling me about uh, when they tried to fix their car engine, he had it all planned out, but in one forgetful moment he left out one vital step Uh, out of order he got one vital step out of order so he jacked up the car uh, drained the oil removed the oil filter and replaced it and then he started the engine to test it and then he reached for the bottle of oil and then this horrendous grinding noise came out from the engine smoke started pouring out and it was a disaster and uh, he says at that moment it struck me that sometimes the order things come in really matters right the oil needs to go in first before you turn on the engine. And if you get it in the wrong order, everything grinds to a halt. Proverbs 3, 13 to 20 says, it's true for engines, and it's also true for your soul. For our souls to run properly and grow and flourish and be wise, the order really matters. You've got to receive God's love for you first before you ever try and do anything for Him. You try and do it the other way around, and you will grind to a halt. Uh, Needlessly disappointed in yourself, in others, and even God. Um, But again, so easy to do, isn't it? To work hard for God and then think, well, I deserve something. And if I don't see a reward, God has let me down. So I want to challenge you. Have you fallen into uh, getting things out of order like that? Are are things grinding in your life because you're trying to do first and think that you're entitled to receive in return? I think we all do that sometimes, don't we? Uh, One helpful way I've found to counteract that is to try and start each day and then stitch through each day a deliberate practice of intentionally enjoying God's goodness to me. Most of all, of course, in Jesus. But Proverbs says, don't forget those other countless smaller earthly experiential tastes of God's love. So the the Christian writer C.S. Lewis said about this, um, something that I found really helpful. He said, I have tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration to God the giver. And then he says, uh, this sweet air, and he means the experiences of joy and delight that God gives us, whispers of the country from whence it blows. Ah, so lovely, isn't it? Um, I remember uh, one morning walking down King Street uh, in Newtown. And just on the breeze, just wafting in uh, the, the smell, thankfully, not the smell of last night's party, but rather <laughs> the smell of uh, fresh bread being baked. And the smell was just, oh, so delicious. And it was like, you know, following the trail to the bakery, picking up some croissants for brekkie. Oh, beautiful. Anyway, that's what, that's what God says our small experiences of joy in this life are like, they should be like a, a, a scent trail that leads us to enjoy him. And so what is it for you? What is that? Oh, that's so good. I love this. Um, What is that activity that you love? Uh, Is it spending time with a particular friend? Is it eating some beautiful food? Uh, For me, it's things like going fishing, as mentioned, or playing basketball. Um, uh, You know, watching my boys grow. It really just gives me a buzz of pleasure. And when I stop and think about it, it really fills my soul up with God's goodness. And so I want you to think, what is it for you? Uh, what, over the past week, pick a moment of joy. I want you to just relive it for a moment and then think, isn't it amazing that the God who created and sustains the universe just wanted me to have that because he loves me? And I want to challenge you to make this a habit. When, when a moment of pleasure comes, don't let it pass Make the most of it. Stop and then thank and praise the God who gave it to you and remind yourself how good it is to live under such a God. I find that so helpful in keeping my relationship with God fresh and being energized to serve Him. Receive first and then once filled, reflect and return. That's true wisdom and joy. That's what Proverbs 3 says. And we see this fleshed out in our third point in verses 21 to 35, that once filled by God's love for us, that empowers us to give our lives to others the way God has given himself to us. So if you just scan over those verses, you'll see there that verses 21 to 26 emphasize the confidence and security that come from knowing God's love. Your foot will not stumble, verse 23, when you lie down, you will not be afraid, etc., And then in verses 27 to 35, they spell out our lives in response. And the split basically comes, uh, verse 27 and 28, uh, and then 29 to the end. So, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to a neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Uh, If you wanted a summary of this, I think it's basically saying, um, do not withhold your hand of good if you have power to do good to others. That's verses 27 to 28. And do not extend your hand in evil to grasp things from others, verses 29 to 31. And the reason for that is because, verses 32 to 35, the God of love and faithfulness will honor and glorify those who live by His love and faithfulness even if it means you suffer at the hands of the evil now. And again, at one level, so simple. Don't withhold good, don't extend in anger and evil, because you trust in God. But in practice, really hard, isn't it? Uh, I caught up with a friend uh, who's a minister in a church, and the last six years for him have been a nightmare, absolute nightmare. Um, He went with his family into a pretty tough area to set up a new church. And um, because he was teaching faithfully, things went really well. And so he put on several staff and the church was growing and making a real difference in the community. But then one by one, his staff turned on him. So one quietly recruited people from the congregation and then came and told my mate he was planting a church and taking them with him the week they left. Another two staff had a very uh, public and ugly relational breakdown. Both refused to reconcile, both refused to leave. Uh, He had to manage the situation and eventually asked one to leave. That person went and slandered him to the congregation. And the staff member who who stayed also then started behaving very poorly and made life even more difficult in the aftermath. And then the mainstream church, which is not Bible-believing, heard about this and deliberately planted a church across the street to which disgruntled members defected. Now, that's my friend's experience as a church minister. In your context, I'm sure you can think of situations where you or those close to you have been treated in absolutely awful ways like this. And in those situations, it's so hard, isn't it? to withhold your hand from returning evil for evil and keep extending your hand to do good, even though it hurts. Uh, I actually had an experience of this this very week when um, uh, I went through quite a painful experience where I felt like I was treated pretty badly by some people. And um, I was walking down the street after having spent a fair bit of time trying to uh, reconcile myself to it and, and find some sense of stability. And someone who was sort of associated with the situation um, saw me in the street, came and said g'day, and then just flippantly chucked out a remark that was related to the situation and laughed. And I must admit, uh, on the surface, I was very, you know, nice. But I know in my heart, my reply, even though couched in very nice terms, was full of poison. I just, It just came out. And then later on, I just realised... I just gave into it. I I extended a hand of evil, even if the person didn't even sense it. I know in my heart that's what I did. But Proverbs 3 says, we mustn't do that. The only reason that you can um, persevere under hardships like this in this fallen world is if you have the perspective that this fallen world is still the world of the God of love and faithfulness. And verse 34, He will mock the proud mockers in due course. He will show grace to the humble and oppressed. He will ensure the wise inherit honor and that fools are only held up to shame. So again, what is that situation in your life? Who are those people in your life where that impulse to either withhold good or stretch out in evil comes when you see them, when you interact with them, when you remember what they've done to you. Proverbs 3 says, Be wise, don't act on those, but keep doing good to them because that is how the God who loves us and who rules us and who made us has treated us. Uh, And if you needed any more assurance of this, you just need to look at the Lord Jesus. Uh, his life, and especially his death and resurrection for us. Because it's actually in Jesus' death on the cross that the world is captured by the love or grace and faithfulness or truth, the wisdom that it was made for all along. Come across back with me to um, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of love and faithfulness. So, you see, that the wisdom of Proverbs 3 in the end is actually the foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ itself. It's amazing, isn't it? So, let's finish uh, living by God's wisdom. Um, Proverbs is about the fact that being wise is not an optional extra for life especially for Christians. It's not like, you know, you've got your base model car and then you can add, I don't know, metallic strip or aircon or something like that. And that's wisdom. You can be a Christian and then you can be a wise Christian. No, Proverbs teaches us, you need to live by God's wisdom. And so the, the simple challenge is, are you wise? Now, when you think about your life, what would success and joy be for you? Uh, Would it be uh, your career? Would it be your house? Would it be your experiences? Would it be your children? Would it be having a prominent position in uh, in in your circles or at church? Well, all those things, Proverbs will tell us, have their place. But Proverbs 3 says that above and beyond all of those things, and even at their expense, true wisdom and true success and joy in life would be if people could say of you, they are a man, they are a woman of great love and faithfulness because they know a God of great love and faithfulness. So brothers and sisters, Proverbs 3 says, be wise, shape and build your perspective, your practice, your passions around nothing other than receiving and then reflecting and returning the love and faithfulness of God to you in the Lord Jesus. That's wisdom. That's blessing and joy. That's eternal life. So are you wise? Let me pray. Uh, Father, there are so many people and things in this world asking us to live in their world, to see things their way, and simply be wise in that setting. And Father, give us true wisdom uh, to see that there is a God of love and faithfulness who stands over all. So please help us to shape ourselves in your image, in response to your love for us. And so in whatever earthly setting that we are in, to reflect the love and faithfulness that we've received from you in the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.